Welcome to the Light Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in Scripture. Welcome back to all of our listeners. This is the Light Bears podcast. I am Brett Arndt here with Bethany Porter with Light Bears Fayetteville, and we are continuing our walkthrough of our Systematic Theology Institute class. If you are newer to this podcast or you're less familiar with, with who Light Bears is and what we do, that the goal of our Light Bears Institute is to help students become biblically literate. That's the, the Old Testament, New Testament piece and to help them become doctrinally sound. And so that's the the theology and practice with a little bit of systematic theology, with a little bit of, of hermeneutics sprinkled in there. So we, we hope that this podcast can aid in that end. And also, if, if you're a student, a mentor, just somebody listening, that you can get a good idea of what our uh, teachers taught about, what these classes are like. And so today, as we continue to, to walk through systematic theology, we we're, we're and we're talking about a new class, something we added just a couple years ago, and that is church history. And so I'll, I'll kind of kick this to you, Bethany, before mm-hmm. we dive into kind of the structure and what was 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 talked about. Why does church history matter? Why, why should students or, or Christians as a whole? Why should we study church history? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you for that really easy question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it it's such a uh, unique, I think, uh, part of history to have to study as believers. I think it's something we tend to kind of throw out the window because we're so focused on theology and theology absolutely matters. Right. Like, theology shows us uh, what we aim to be, what kind of people we want to be, uh, how to think about God rightly. So it's it's a good problem to have in some ways. And yet I have seen students um, kind of roll their eyes a little bit at, at church history. But then as we step into it, I think they realize, wow, this actually really matters. I think biggest thing is that um, it gives wisdom and discernment to the believer. I think it helps you understand why the church is the way it is today. And so it gives you this better understanding and context for it in both good and bad ways. Right. So we're, I think you're, you can be in different circles where maybe the church is really idealized and that can be dangerous because then you minimize uh, people's pain or the way that that the church has done things wrong. But then you also might be in some in some circles where um, only bad things are talked about about the church, and we also have to be careful about that because God has done incredible th- things through flawed people, and ultimately it's His church. That's right. I remember asking, <laughs> I asked this to a couple students, knowing church history was coming. And, and just kind of, I mean, you know how I ask these questions, but on a scale of one to 10, how, mm-hmm. how excited are you for, for church history? And there were some students who were like, I don't know, maybe three, <laughs> a, a four. And, yeah. and, you know, and I personally like history. It's always been kind of a labor of love in some ways. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting. And for all the reasons you, you said, mm-hmm. uh, but we can, even when we hear history, we think it's this dry kind of didactic subject that mm-hmm. a lot of us, you know, had to study in school. And yet, I mean, just as you're saying, it's it's church history, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm stealing a little bit of this is a, a phrase, some words from from Deuteronomy six here, but when it comes to church history, we 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 drink from wells that that we did not dig, and and kind of what I mean by that is that there are, there are people who have gone before us who have done the labor and worked hard 
uh, and we reap the benefits by mm-hmm. God's grace of of the labor that's gone before us. And so, the the basic confessionals uh, uh, that that we adhere to, the creeds, the catechisms, even some of the terminology. And so, take a take a word like Trinity. Obviously, our triune God has been around from the beginning. The concept has been around from the beginning. When we look at Scripture, the the concept of the Trinity is in Genesis one. But that terminology was coined by Tertullian, mm-hmm. and that was in, in the early church. And so even these confessions and creeds and statements, and it's not like the church was sitting around trying to think, uh, hey, let's get together and think what, you know, try to figure out what we believe. No, the, the truth of Christianity has been around from the beginning, mm-hmm. but it's often these statements and creeds and all these labors are coming as a response to heresy and the falsities about the person and work of Jesus that they're making sound biblical arguments for. And so uh, we drink from wells that we did not dig. There are those who've gone before us, who've labored well, who fought for truth in mm-hmm. the face of, uh, of, uh, of sin and, and heresy and praise God. And it would be uh, false of us to not stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. One of the great things about when we think of biblical doctrine and biblical theology is our theology doesn't change because our God doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And our doctrine over time doesn't change because our the, the word of God doesn't change. And so uh, Paul talks about the faith that has been passed down. We are unified. What unifies us is one mind, one faith. And, and that's what unifies Ambrose mm-hmm. in the early church to us. It's that we're, we're clinging to this faith. And so it matters. And just as you're saying, our denominations. Why do we have denominations? Why do why are there certain beliefs? Why does why do we have Protestants? Why do we have the, the, the Roman Catholic Church? All of these are coming from real events uh, over major divisions, and at times a lot of bloodshed mm-hmm. even following that. And so it, it it will do you well for the for the encouragement of your soul to see the, the Word of God protected and, and held true over the generations. But even just Christ's statement of I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In church history, what a testament mm-hmm. to Christ building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we love church history as a ministry. We hope if you're listening uh, that this quick little survey can even whet your appetite to, to, to dive in a little more. Yeah. And I think, I think just another important thing to point out is uh, not only does it keep, give us a context for today, but it truly helps us understand just the trends of our ideas and our theology and emphasis that we place on certain things really does impact the future. So a lot of church history isn't super black and white. And so it's, it's pretty complex and layered, but you do see that as, you know, maybe someone taking good theology and actually using it for their own power or own Mm. political stance. I mean, the, the 30 years war in Europe was very much centered around that. Uh, that that was really dangerous, but then also faithful men and women stepping out in courage who did things imperfectly and were flawed that God used right. them and used their love and unity within the church, but also the, their boldness for good theology and good doctrine, that that all really matters. So I think even just for students and listeners, it's, it's a good call for us to be thoughtful believers who are wise and discerning um, and thinking through how our ideas and our actions really do matter for the future. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, even thinking now, right. If, if the Lord should tarry in his return, who are the, the, the figures now who remain faithful to scripture to remain faithful mm-hmm. to, to, to the Lord and, and helped advance his church. And what are those uh, issues that we read about? What, what are those events? What are those thinking of Colossians, the, these false ideologies and every ways of wave of false doctrine, right? 
what are those uh, what are those doctrines of today mm-hmm. that that faithful men and women are, are combating today? So mm-hmm. that's that's really good. Just to give a uh, a quick kind of idea for those listening of how we've structured this class, it's a little unfair. Uh, for I mean, we have we're covering two thousand years of history of the church in really two classes, and so we we have one class that is the early church, so roughly. 70 AD, that's the destruction of the temple to, to up to the Reformation, and then the Reformation to present day. And so uh, if if you are listening and, and know much of church history, you're thinking, oh my gosh, that is not a lot of time. And that's right. So this is <laughs> uh, this class is really high level. Uh, it, it's very survey-esque. And so mm-hmm. the, really the, the heart and goal of this is just to get some key figures, some key events, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, to 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 whet your appetite, to feed a hunger that would would cause our students to, to go and want to study more on their own. And so let's, uh, Bethany, let's kind of walk through the, kind of that, those 2,000 years there. I'll talk about that first section kind of a to, to give a workable timeline and structure of how we kind of structured the class. And so we start really in 70 AD. Again, I know I just mentioned this, but that's, that's the, the destruction of the temple there. And so that first part of church history, kind of dividing that really in, in three time periods, that first one being 70 AD to roughly 312, and talking really about how that is really a unified or, or, or universal, or even to use the, the phrase Catholic Christianity, the age of Catholic Christianity, and not from a Roman Catholic, a Catholic, but from a, a, a unified and orthodox uh, that this is the first period, uh, the first, I say first period, this is really the only period in church history where there were no major divisions for the most part in church history. And then in an event in 312, a major event happened. This is when Constantine became Roman emperor. And so from 312 roughly to 590, you have this age of imperial Christianity. And and Constantine was just a, a, a goliath of a figure, uh, not just in church history, but in world history, just uh, maybe one of the 10 most important people to ever live and how he shaped uh, Western uh, uh, thought in Christianity and really shaped all of Europe. And so really from 590 up to the Reformation, you you have this age of the age of Christendom. Mm -hmm. And so you you go from this age of imperial Christianity, uh, which is absolutely mind-blowing, right? Before Constantine, 30 years before that, Christians were persecuted and then from that moment, right after Constantine, it was illegal to be a pagan. Mm. And so how how that is, I think we even fail to recognize how huge and momentous that is. And yet that was good for Christianity and oftentimes really bad of, mm-hmm. of this imperial Christianity that happened. And there's some good things that happened uh, in that time period, but but it, it changed uh, changed the church in a lot of ways. Well, then from 590 to to roughly up to the Reformation, you have this age of Christendom. We see the, the arisal of the papacy, the power of the papacy. And so you go from a kind of separation of church and state to, to really the Pope is the most powerful figure in, 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 all, of, in all of Europe. What we see that in this time period from 590 to up to the Reformation, we see the fall of the Roman Empire. You have the Great Schism, right? You have the, the, the Western and the Eastern Empires, and you have this constant bombardment of these barbarian tribes that, that come down. Obviously, the, the, the other historical figures like Charlemagne or uh, Charles Martel, uh, the, this era of feudalism up to where we get these countries that we know now as, as Europe— and as the arrival of the papacy, the power of the papacy, we see where theology is not 
necessarily just off a little, but it totally goes off the deep end. And, and we kind of rise and I'll kick this off to you to, Mm -hmm. to the reformation. And again, that's very high level, but, but then kind of setting this environment for the reformation and, and how huge that was for, for the church. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was major just in the, in after studying, I think the level of control and, and you talked about this, just the power that the Pope would have over pretty much the entire continent of Europe, but it had turned into this system of manipulation, control, legalism. And in the midst of that is most commonly heard of is Martin Luther and his stance against uh, the church, the church's theology and his fight for true doctrine, but also Christian living. You know, there's a sense of, okay, we can have right theology, but we also need to preach the gospel in a loving way to our neighbors and give them truth and and a call to repentance. And him and Calvin, Calvin's usually kind of left out of this. John Calvin was, was pretty instrumental during this time. And then Ulrich Zwingli was huge as well. So throughout Europe, you see this transformation from the control of Catholicism to now this Protestant way of thinking that answered the major questions of how is a person saved? It has to be through faith alone. It can't be through works. It can't be through indulgences. Where does authority lie? You know, authority had been strictly given to the Pope. Right. And now it's in the word of God. And one thing that really stood out to me during this age is that um, the power of men and women being able to read scripture for themselves. I think we're, we're so used to it. Of I can Google a, a scripture passage I have a couple of Bibles I can just flip open and, and read commentaries, but the average person couldn't couldn't read it. It was in Greek and Latin. And so no one was able to understand scripture for themselves. So when Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and and different men and women were able to do that, it was actually transformational, which I think is a call to us to really love and cherish God's word. Um, and to be people who are students of it and discerning and wise of how to use that to impact the world. But that that really ushered in um, a bigger change, though, in the 1600s, because by that time, German princes has, had started taking over um, and having a little bit more political power, and they would use religious agendas to push their political power. So it wasn't, here's an example of maybe some good theology being used really poorly and then also some bad theology being used really poorly, but kind of just using it to prop themselves up in their pride. But there's a, basically there's a revolt against this during that time. And that ushers in the 30 years war, which is one of the bloodiest wars that Europe had seen to that point. And because of this, after 30 years, shocker, the 30 years war is 30 years long. (laughs) There's a rising skepticism among the average person about religion, which honestly makes sense because, I mean, imagine if if you had been alive during that time, you'd think religion is what killed my grandfather or what traumatized my children. Or, I mean, it would have, it was such a negative perception of what religion is. Um, And so because of that, people kind of separated in the way that they were now viewing religion. It ushered in this enlightenment type thinking, which is basically this this courage to use your own reason. So let's think through things scientifically, methodically. But among more spiritual people, you kind of had three responses of, a, of more of a deist response, which was, okay, God, God is alive, but we're going to be cynical about it. He's not personal. He's a watchmaker God. You also had another response, which is more of a spiritualist response, which is, 
okay, we're sick of this more dogmatic way of thinking in, in religion and in, in a negative way of using religion. And so we're going to sit down and they would have the, these meetings where they would um, just hope and pray that they would have some sort of enlightenment come to them. But they really forsook scripture. So there was a negative side to that as well. But then pietism came onto the scene as well, which was more of this individual emphasis on your personal relationship with God. Saw a lot more Bible studies, um, people taking their faith really seriously. And maybe a slant that wasn't as helpful was is it did become really individual and kind of forsook community and and putting your faith out there and and causing change and action in your faith. But the good bent on that was that there was this joyful and rich relationship with Christ that was ushered onto the scene. And that takes us more into the first great awakening in the States, which was um, basically the influence of the Puritans on the colonies. Again, there's some good things about this, bad things about this. Good things was more of that individual, um, pietous, joyful relationship with Christ. They were very sober-minded, willing to step into suffering. But then there were some blind spots during that time. We do see slavery come on the rise, um, and there were people in the church that would allow that to be part of the church and didn't stand up for that. And then during the Second Great Awakening, there's more of this revivalist-type thinking, and this actually was more negative. So there's a man named... Charles Finney, who would, Mm -hmm. instead of thinking of revival in the sense that the Holy Spirit changes your life, you know, that's for any believer, he would actually curate the experience. So he would, he would do things like, let's make this an atmosphere where someone can be changed instead of let's pray that God would change hearts. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of ushered in this lacking uh, a faith that really lacked depth and was more focused on experience. Emotive maybe. Yeah. And and just causing something to rise up in your heart instead of praying and being in the word and being together in community to bring about change in people's hearts. And that really ushered in the, the 19th century. So the 19th century more focused on responses to social changes. So this is when you see the industrial revolution, scientific revolution, more Darwinian thinking. This is a time I think where, you know, we do need a lot of nuance and there's not really time to get into that. But some Christians really embrace this new progressive biology, like we, we can't be left behind by the world. And there are some really negatives about that, but they were a little bit more community focused but they were at the same time negatively open to biblical criticism. And so they, they forsook some of that authority, but then you do have a whole camp then that stuck to biblical authority, but then they were really stuck on old Victorian ideals, almost making that what godliness is instead of, you know, what scripture would say. So again, there's nuance, there's goods and bads in both. And often it's kind of the middle ground um, that is hard to find in those times. And then the ushers in the world wars in Europe. So you've got men like Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth who really stand out for the faith, um, protecting Protestantism and biblical authority. Some of the church had kind of become complacent at that time. And so the, the church really did need the voices like that to stand out against some really evil thinking that was ushered in by Hitler and Nazi type thinking. And that really kind of ushers us into modern day where it's the age of technology. I think we kind of forget that technology actually has a huge influence on the church and our faith. Just in researching, like the Bible app has been downloaded on 250 million devices. So the access to scripture is absolutely there. Access to um, spiritual formation is there. 
And yet there's a, a isolation that, that comes with that and a distractedness that comes with that. that the, I think the church is truly having to push against and, and find depth and community still in our in 2022. Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, you, you, even in all of that, right, in, the, in that survey, there's again, we mentioned this earlier, but there's so much in the early church. And I mean, we could you could literally do a hundred podcasts of all the information and the figures and the stuff that happens in church history. But in, in just, and, and I'll, we'll kind of backtrack. We'll start kind of from, from that later time period to kind of the, the earlier church, but who are just in, in, in your personal opinion, or, or maybe as, as you've studied church history, give me one or two figures that, that you're like, man, these are, and you mentioned Luther, Calvin, mm-hmm. some of those others, but give me one or two figures that are just if you hey if you if you're going to study this time in church history you got to know these people. Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I think I think Luther is kind of the obvious one. Um, everyone knows about him, but the more that I studied him, truly is incredible what the Lord did through him. He he was a flawed man. I mean, just in in reading about him, I think he was kind of harsh personality and irritable a little bit. But that also made for someone who was bold and strong and able to stand up in these um, debates and, and not recant his faith. He was asked to do that a couple of times and he didn't even, even though he knew that that could potentially mean death for him. But truly, I, th- I think it, it was encouraging to see that he was in this world of that legalistic, I'm going to buy as many indulgences as I can. I'm going to confess as much as I can with the hopes that that will be enough to be in purgatory and have less time in purgatory and then be with Christ in the end. And throughout his life, he just wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this. And he'd be so anxious. He often would confess to the Pope his sins or to the priest his sins and would leave thinking of more sins like, oh, did I forget that? Uh, Was I contrite enough? That was really big for him. Like, did I actually mean that? Because the priest would often ask, do you mean, do you like, are you truly um, sorry for your sins? And when Luther has this tower experience is what it's called, where he reads Romans five and he realizes that his salvation isn't necessarily dependent on his level of faith, but in who he was having faith in, in Christ and, and that Christ would give him righteousness and give him grace and bless him and love him through the transformation of the Holy spirit. And that changes everything mm-hmm. for him. I think that was just convicting for all of us, even as we were sharing and talking about this with students of, I think we often turn our repentance sometimes into that a work of, did I mean it enough? Am I truly saved? And sometimes it is good to ask that question, and then, but sometimes it is that we're not trusting in the grace of Christ and it's, it's okay. You know, his grace is sufficient for us. Um, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves in and of ourselves. Um, so I think that's just an encouragement. And I saw that encourage students and us too, just as we were studying that. Yeah. There's a, um, in, if you're listening out there, uh, Luther, there's, there's a ton of books on him, biographies, even there's a, uh, usually around, um, Reformation Day, also known as Halloween by, <laughs> by everyone else. There's some good videos out there and movies of Luther and and, and just a lot of great stuff out here is, is what Bethany was saying in his life, just a faithful person. I think it's so cool as we we study church history, you mentioned this a little bit, but how powerful the word of God is mm-hmm. of in conversion stories, the Holy Spirit through the word of God, bringing change and revival. And, and uh, we see that time and time and time again. And again, I mean, we, we this 
quick little podcast would, would fail to be enough time to talk about all the figures and mm-hmm. and and the Reformation and 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 after the, the faithful men and women after uh, even I mean we we missionary biographies that are you know Hudson Taylor mm-hmm. and guys like A W Tozer. J.C. Ryle and just faithful men, even more more modern, that, that mm-hmm. just have put out great stuff. You know, I, I'm thinking of, I'm trying to think of just early church here, but I think a big one, fun to study, but but so impactful in, in just the, the course of of church history would be Augustine. I mean, just just looking at his life, and again, like like Luther, there's so many people uh, that have written great biographies about him. There's a lot of information out there, but but this is a uh, a guy who grew up during the age of Imperial Christianity. He heard uh, the gospel often, uh, rejected it, went after other worldviews often, was very intelligent, taught rhetoric, I think, in Rome when he was a teenager, maybe 18, 19, 20. So was brilliant, known for his mind. And uh, another important figure, a guy by the name of Ambrose, uh, was was a, a great preacher of his day. And Augustine went and heard him and f- kind of became convicted that all the questions Augustine had about problem of evil and how could a good God allow suffering? Ambrose answered. Mm-hmm. And, and and Luther, who was a man of the night, uh, enjoyed uh, women often, knew in his own testimony would say, hey, I knew Christianity was true. But if he uh, became a Christian, he would have to forsake his worldly, lady-loving lifestyle. And uh, and a lot of us know his his famous testimony, right? He was in his backyard of this garden and next door, he heard this little girl swinging or playing whatever and and singing or, or saying the phrase, take up and read, take up and read. He was he was going through Romans again, like like so many people in church history was going through Romans, was kind of pondering, taking a moment. He picked up and read, make no provision for the flesh. And he, he would say at that moment, that was his the, the, the gates of heaven would, would fling open and he became a believer and. And he was so impactful. I think even easily one of the most impactful theologians and, and church figures in church history, even for Reformation thought. I mean, there's an aspect of of that that the Reformation is a retelling and a preaching of Pauline thought as articulated through Augustine. So even Luther, in his commentary to Romans, quoted Augustine over a hundred times. Calvin loved him as well, and uh, you know he was kind of a guy, a contemporary of his day was, was Pelagius. And so uh, he spoke out a lot against Pelagianism and uh, things like original sin. Uh, th- this is, you know, as articulated more by Augustine in his studies, God's sovereignty, he wrote so much on even the doctrine of amillennialism. Augustine is is the one who's pinning these things. And so a lot of what even Calvin wrote, right? Who, by the way, Calvin, we, you know, your Calvin, Calvinism, Calvin was actually a, a theologian of the spirit, right? He was known mm-hmm. as the theologian of the spirit. And, uh, and he, he's really articulating a lot of one, one scripture, but two, a lot of Augustinian thought. And so he was just so big in his fighting of heresy in his day of, of just standing on the truthfulness of scripture. And so Augustine would be up there and I mentioned this a little earlier, but if, you know, if, if you want to study some early church people, you know, Constantine is just so big as far as just a historic figure and, and how crazy that is, right? Even his, we've seen mafia movies or, you know, when, when there's a power struggle, somebody dies and it's this fight for power. Well, that's the Roman empire, right? If, if you're going to become an emperor, it's not like, well, my son will take it. It's kind of this, this fight for power. And so you have Constantine and, and this other general, two generals that fought on this bridge. And Constantine has his perplexing famous vision of, of he, he saw a cross and, 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 you know, the, the words in this sign conquer. 
and he won. Uh, he, he was outmanned and, and won this battle and uh, then became a Christian right? he, when he was even buried. He refused to be buried in his royal robes, but was buried in his baptismal robes. Sunday, he made an official holiday. He gave tax exemptions to ministers. You know, he, he allowed for churches. And and I've been to Turkey, been to Istanbul, uh, uh, old Constantinople, and, and went in the I Sophia and saw where he was crowned emperor. And I just like history. I think that's interesting, mm-hmm. but just such a key figure, not necessarily for the Christian faith, but in some ways, yes, mm-hmm. but also just for history in general. And so I think too, it's, it's encouraging to see, uh, you know, that he's allotted the very boundaries of our dwelling place to use us in significant ways. I mean, it's him doing the work and yet none of it is by chance. You know, you, you think of Martin Luther, that he was there, that he was a monk, that even just his personality and, and how God broke into his, his story. Yeah. Another one is Blaise Pascal, who's more known for his, he he invented the atmospheric pressure measurement pretty much, but he was a believer and he came to know the Lord because his uh, father hurt and broke his leg. And because of that, his father was uh, ministered to by some physicians who were Christians. They shared their faith with him and Blaise just watched as his father entered into suffering with this new mindset. And that was huge for, for blaze, <laughs> interesting name, but blaze Pascal of, okay, this, this is the, this will sustain me during deep suffering. And he did suffer a lot in his life and the Lord was faithful to still use right. all of those moments. That's I think right. we're so tempted to be like, it's meaningless. Life is meaningless. My suffering is meaningless. And yet church history gives courage for our present suffering. That's I right. believe um, and we might never see how how that is the side of heaven. I don't. I mean, Augustine probably has no idea the influence that he had. Calvin probably doesn't know that we still talk about him. In the end, it's about the Lord, and yet he does he does use our suffering and our courage. It matters. Our actions matter. Yeah, even thinking scripturally, right? I think of that that passage in the Hall of Faith, right, in, in Hebrews, and and how this encouragement to to believers who are suffering. To, hey, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses that those who've gone before us. And and uh, again, I mean, just to, to looking at not only church history, but I mean, uh, just even in mm-hmm. scripture, the faithful men and women before us mm-hmm. that have clung to Christ and hope in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a testament to, to our faith. And so yeah. and to people who did it very imperfectly. Right. Scripture's full of just the flaws of people and yet his faithfulness. And so I think it's a call to both courage to step out. And then also a call to grace of that's right. I I need his forgiveness for the ways that I I haven't done what I'm supposed to do. And also just a caution for us as well of you know as as we study church history and do it, please do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, but not never to idolize anybody too much. But mm-hmm. but that you know that they are that the people we should admire are only as admirable as they are true to the word of God and faithful to Christ and uplift him. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, a good check for us as well. But mm-hmm. just kind of to, to tie things up here, you know, we mentioned why does church history matter again? I mean, I- I- anything else to add to that? If, you know, if you have a, a light bears girl or a student saying, okay, why should I be excited about this? Anything else you, you'd want to add to that? Yeah. I, I just think study and read these books. I mean, you don't have to, get the giant textbook and read 5,000 pages, but just start with an autobiography or biography that interests you. I have seen reading other people's stories or even watching a testimony on of them on, on a documentary or something like that truly give me perspective. I mean, an example would be like um, hearing of certain missionaries who 
suffered for five years straight and they never saw any relief. You know, maybe it was physical health or having to be in hiding for five years straight. I think it, it, it helps me to zoom out a little bit and to realize that seasons come and go, that hardships come and go, and they might last longer than I think they should last. And yet God is working, God is using them. And that, that these people that we, we tend to prop up really struggled. And so I think that gives me that grace um, to have weakness and to say, okay, I, it's okay that I'm struggling. And yet God does want to use me and mm-hmm. he, he does want to use the suffering both in my life and the life of, of the people he's chosen to be around me. So I would say just, just choose a book that genuinely interests you or a podcast even that genu- like this podcast <laughs> that genuinely interests you and allow yourself to just be mentored by people that have gone before us. We see that in scripture. I mean, you look at Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, they did things, certain things that we are amazed by, certain things that we're not very amazed by. And that gives us that grace and that truth that we desperately need as well. That's right. Books are just, books are huge. Just looking of, as you're saying, whether that's biographies of these people, and there's so many resources out there uh, as far as biographies are concerned, uh, but also just uh, books on, at least in the last probably four or 500 years, just books on Christian living, on faithfulness and and men and women who've gone before us and have just, as you said, w- went through the ringer and yet articulated so clearly and so well their experience as they hope in the, the solidified word of God and in Christ. And, and that's, it's encouraging uh, for all of us to, to, to read those. Well, hopefully if, for those listening, that this has been, uh, this has been fun. This has been encouraging. Again, as we would tell our students, we would encourage all who are listening Study church history. It's encouraging to see the faithfulness of our Lord, to stand on the shoulders of, of those who've gone before us, and, and really just to take a look back and to see God's sovereignty and goodness over it all, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You've been listening to the Light Bears Institute podcast, a production of Light Bears Ministries. For more information, visit lightbears.com. Lightbears.com.